Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is the 15th day of May 2014, and we're going to be live here for the next hour. Joining me is uh, one of my good buddies, Alan Brown, in studio. So we're going to be talking about a lot of financial stuff, getting into some crazy off-the-wall things. And uh, say hi, Alan. Say hi to the audience. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Glad to have you. And joining us remotely through the power of the internet is Josh Wiley of the Journalistic Revolution and Josh Wiley Speaks. I just made that up. And it's just Josh Wiley. Josh, JoshWileySpeaks.com. There you yeah, go. That's, right. that's where you can find me. Nobody steal our URL. Please don't steal JoshWileySpeaks.com. It's a premium domain anyways. It's probably 30 cents now in the open market. <laughs> Prime. Fuck off. <laughs> hey, Josh, if you could do me... Never mind. I was going to see if you could do me a back of the house, but um, back of the house is taken care of. We lost video with you. There you come up again, as usual. Um, I think we lost you, dude. Oh, no, I'm still here. Oh, there we go. I just turned my video off and on. You should be able to see me. We got you. Okay. Sorry about that, everybody. And welcome, if you are listening live through the JREV Radio, uh, jrevradio.com. The future, I guess, of libertarian slash conspiracy slash um, uh, anti-climate kids radio. Anti-climate kids radio. I have coined the phrase climate kids. I coined it last night, and it is here to stay. Because I encountered another about with a climate kid posting an article from Vanity Fair that I'll be reading later talking about how all of these people that are conspiracy theorists are whack jobs and are just really, um, really stupid. And he basically goes on with just ad hominem attacks throughout the entire article, never substantiating anything, just basically saying that we're climate deniers and we're, we're morons because we don't believe scientists. And um, it's really funny because the people that they towed out there, like Bill Nye, the science guy, isn't a fucking meteorologist either. He's a mechanical engineer. So what the fuck? Give me a break. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, experts. It's, 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 it's a completely different show than what you're used to. And uh, if you had kids listening, you're probably not listening anymore. So, so sorry. <laughs> F-bomb within three minutes. That's my new record. <laughs> that is my new record. I usually do a clean show. Yeah, but it's the nature of expertology, right? Hey, Josh, they really, the climate kids drive me absolutely insane. But, you know, it's just limits to growth, man. You know, we're going to run out of stuff. Just yeah. happen. Well, I mean, that, but that's the real, the real joke of it all. It's like, at least the, the direct historical continuity between Malthusianism and today, that's about 200 years of solid history for the American people to examine and say, wait, this just seems like the same idea rebranded over and over and over again with the same solutions and the same ends in mind. And if we haven't gotten, if we haven't caught on 200 years in, then uh, do you really have much hope for the next 50 as we're entering, entering idiocracy? No, and that's the funny thing is that when they post these things on Facebook, they're always talking about how we're the idiots and we're the people that need to be explained to and you you guys just need to you guys just need to do some research. I'm like, really? We- it's like that. It's like that Princeton study where they found that dumb people could not were too dumb to identify themselves as being dumb. Right? 1% percent of the population actually admitted that they're below average intelligence. Everybody else thought they were geniuses. Yep. <laughs> How's that bell curve working out? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So um, anyway, to, to start off the show, I guess. Um, Interesting things happening in in the background for us, Josh. Um, a lot of fun stuff. We don't want to talk about it. There will be an official announcement, I guess, one of these days. But um, within the next week, I'd say I'm I'm trying to move pretty quickly with this. I hate the word official, but I guess it is official, and it will be official, and we'll official whatever. I sound listen to me. I sound like a, a Republican. Everything <laughs> you got arrested by the official, these elected officials, not you know servants. Well, Jake, there are known knowns and there are known unknowns, and the known knowns we can know. <laughs> Welcome to Double Think, everybody. <laughs> oh, and speaking of which, I do want to plug this. If you guys have not checked this out, if you don't follow me on Facebook, if you don't follow me on Twitter, number one, shame on you. Number two, you need to go and check out this thing called Thug Notes on YouTube. It is my new favorite. 
um, past time to kill about five minutes. So if you're looking to kill five minutes waiting on a bus or something like that, go on YouTube, check out Thug Notes, and check out his breakdown of Fahrenheit 451. It's absolutely amazing, as well as a breakdown from A Brave New World, which is a book that we've never read before by a guy that's never shown up in CIA ever before, ever. You, you've never read A Brave New World? No, it's a, I, Josh. I find that hard to believe. Uh, it's all right, man. You know, there's, you know, they they don't have any pictures in it. I, I'm not going to read those. Nah, that's true. Yeah. Why do you need to read books without pictures? Like, why why read dystopia, man? Fucking Jersey Shore's on. Yeah. I guess I guess that's dystopia, dystopic in its own right, though. And it is, man. Why live dystopia when you can just watch it on TV? I would rather have the final salute, Aldous Huxley's final or uh, uh, final revolution instituted before I would like to spend a night with Snooky. So. I guess that's true. She might be a she might be a um, cyborg. You never know. She's definitely part of the final revolution, man. Oh my gosh! The deliberate dumbing down of the population. Don't say. And these people don't understand why they're useful dupes. It's like I don't understand why I get paid millions of dollars to just go around and be stupid because you're an icon for what they want. It's well, and, and if they do figure it out, then they either leave Hollywood, uh, you know, dissolve into nothingness, or get killed. So. Yeah, there's really not a win-win situation. Just keep selling out, people. It'll all work out great, I'm sure. The Illuminati loves you. They're they're a bunch of good people. You got to give the Illuminati credit for choosing a wonderful icon like Bill Nye, the science guy, to represent what is true science and what is real. That guy has been raising a generation of kids. I grew up with the guy, See? and I believed every word he said when I was six years old. I'm thirty-something years old now, and I'm not believing everything he said. But as a kid, I can see how wow. Everything he's said for these past 25 years must be correct because it's Bill Nye, the science guy. He's got a TV show. I mean... Look at that haircut. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he's a guy not... He's not known for his groundbreaking research in any field. He's scientifically respected because he tells little children how to think with zany 90s graphics. That's exactly right. There you go. And you know what? He's an entertainer. Absolutely. The Illuminati loves this guy. You've got to love it how he just convinced a lot of people that i met bill nye once and he's an asshole really yeah that doesn't surprise is that, me is that slander no is that defamation that no, doesn't surprise not. me that's none of the above is my per, my the personal opinion of josh wiley not affiliated with the we are not cattle dot net in any official capacity thinks bill nye is an asshole roll, roll, how about that roll a prompt right there across oh the it's kind of like the <laughs> it's kind of like the status argument that robert made you know where he said that um in order to tell a cop that he's being a dick, he can't just say, hey, man, you're being a dick about this. In my opinion, you're being a dick because if you say that he's being a dick personally, then that is a statement of fact which is untrue, and they can take you in for defamation. But if you say, in my opinion, you somehow protect yourself. I think you're an this, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, word games we play. And speaking of word games, anyway, I need to pull the, I really do need to pull this Vanity Fair article up. But anyway, Alan, let's talk about your, your trip to, to Europe right before all this financial stuff because very interesting, before you left, I told you to, to be on the lookout for – um, all of the all of the triggers, anything to uh, anything that would be noticeably different from a a thriving nation as opposed to a nation in decline. So shifting away from the five minutes that we spent just absolutely cracking each other up and getting to know each other and probably probably losing our listening audience, but you know what, we love you guys anyway. And if you still stuck around, thank you for going through the turbulence. We are now in our descent, and actually we are in our ascent, and we'll be cruising here in a few minutes. But anyway. <laughs> Alan, talk about your trip to Europe, and um, I'm going to go get a um, adult beverage, so I will be right back. No sweat, no sweat. So basically, everything that's kind of leading the headlines these days is the United States and Russian intensity with Ukraine and everything as far as um, whether or not Putin's going to continue to take over and whatnot. And it kind of had me thinking about what's really the underlying war, what's going on here, and that's basically our two economies, the way our financial systems work and who's really going to be the global powerhouse moving forward. And I thought back to when I was privileged enough to have the opportunity to go to Europe. It was right around the summer of 2008. And uh, the media in Europe is so different than the, than the United States in that basically they just continually bash the United States and expose the United States for the weaknesses that uh, you'll never hear over here on this other side of the pond. But nonetheless, it is true matter in the sense of, hey, if there's something going wrong with the economy, 
it's exploited all over all over the news. Any any news channel. There's no left or right really. It's just all concept of hey, let's look at what the Americans are doing and how bad it looks. That's what the scenario was. That's what the metaphor or that's what basically the the concept was in the in the summertime of 2008. And they had the financial crisis down to a science. They knew that it was going to be blowing up or imploding on itself in only a matter of weeks. And I got back to the United States, and it's almost like it came back and. There was no problems. There was no issues whatsoever. Everything was hunky-dory. And then, obviously, the September and October rolled around. And it, well, basically, what you had is what you had, the situation of a, a nightmare situation. But the writing was on the wall in Europe. And uh, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to go back to Europe again. And you, you follow these articles nowadays about what's going on in, in Russia. And you start to see that uh, there really is a huge, huge problem with the United States currency uh, being the global powerhouse, being the world reserve currency, and that uh, the petrodollar is in really, really big trouble as far as the monopoly of the world, which has really been our secret weapon forever. But the reality is, is that Michael Snyder, you know, he's a good writer for uh, Alex Jones and whatnot. He's he's always jumping the gun as far as ready for this. He's ready for this next depression. He's ready for the next big thing to really go down down south for everything, but he, he, he is right about this and that we are closer than what people give us credit for in the sense that this uh, this concept of what's waging between us and Russia is on the verge of collapse when they do take over because all they need, all they need in order for them to take over with the ruby, Josh, is to have guys like Iran, guys like um, China on their side, and they've got it. You know? Well, I, yeah, and, and just to interject, when we look at you know the BRICS nations, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. It's no longer called the BRICS nations. It's called the BRICS and Associates right. because there's something like 70, 80 plus additional countries that have signed on for this provisional uh, ruble yuan kind of swap system to replace the petrodollar. Uh, and you, you hit on so many points, but one thing I, I, I guess I really wanted to ask you is what is your opinion in terms of how this shakes down? Because when I see the transfer of physical assets, whether they be land or gold and silver from west to east, Right. On a systematic scale, I see the price suppression of gold and silver deliberately uh, by Western forces in rigged Western markets to essentially sell it wholesale to China and Russia uh, and, and India to, to a lesser extent, I guess. Um, but when I see that, are, are these people, are, are the global comptrollers, if you were, so, so tremendously stupid that they're trading their final bargaining piece? Or do you kind of hold more of a Jim Willie-esque theory where... He, he says that once uh, a, a competing system with the petrodollar comes out, then America will essentially split its dollar to maintain its international prominence, where there will be a good gold-backed dollar that facilitates international trade, and then the dollar in your pocket is essentially going to be the one that experiences uh, the kind of doldrums of potential hyperinflation. That is, that is a very good question. I think that obviously it remains to be seen. The reality is, is that... They have so many natural resources over there that however they back it, as long as whoever's basically taking on their exports is going to be the winner. I would think that at the end of the day, America is going to do whatever they can to hold on. But the reality is, is that I don't know. I think that it's we're too far past the concept of trying to go back to some sort of gold standard, even though that might be the most fundamentally sound way of trying to salvage anything that we have with this fiat currency. But the reality is, is that I have no idea. I think it's so complicated at this point to where even the top dogs, even the people that you know want to try and salvage the United States are scratching their heads over it because the reality is, is that it's going to be very, very scary in how this all does dissolve. So sorry about that. I had to step away for a few minutes, guys. But um, <clears throat> I assume that he got in everything about his trip over there, and you guys talked about currencies, I guess, a little bit, so just trying to get me up to speed. Um, speaking of which, Josh, you and I had a conversation last night and um, about gold and silver and also about cryptocurrencies, and Alan was um, was asking me some questions about Bitcoin, and so maybe we should get into some of that and about how that could be possibly one of our solutions to get rid of this banking system in general is to go to a, a, a cryptocurrency-based solution, not necessarily Bitcoin solely, but a, a, device, a diverse range of currencies that can be traded, um, uh, can be actually you know, used to, to purchase goods or services without regulatory bodies like um, the Federal Reserve leaning over us and taking percentage points every time we do decide to make a transaction. Obviously, there's going to be 
There's going to be companies set up that are going to regulate the industry itself, and they're going to take their position, but it's not going to be like a banking cabal like we have now where you have central banks and they all work together under the, the World Bank and the IMF and the Bank of International Settlements and on and on and on as you go up the pyramid. So let's um, let's just give him a once-over the basics of Bitcoin. I was trying to go over it um, Let's start with the mining process. How originally Bitcoin was supposed to be mined? How? Where is it at now? And then these other these other cryptocurrencies that are popping up that people can get into relatively early in the game now and still have um, still have some validity to them and still have some obviously some flexibility, but have fixed some of the holes that Bitcoin had as being the first to emerge on the marketplace. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, in in a lot of terms, Bitcoin is Web 1.0, right? It's a really great protocol, and sometimes protocols for the web are immortal, like TCP/IP or IRC or email. You know, like nobody screws with those because they're good and they're functional and and they're okay. So some people make the claim that Bitcoin is is uh, is the best one because it developed the protocol itself. But when we look at uh, what Bitcoin started off as initially. Uh, I guess the first rumblings of it on the internet came came to be around 2008, and then I, I believe that it was released for public mining in 2009, late 2009, early 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, the vision for Bitcoin was kind of outlined in in Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin, in his white paper, uh, where he essentially says it's a unique and revolutionary currency because it's rare. There's only 21 million Bitcoins ever to be in existence. They're very fungible because it's divisible down to what, eight decimal places, ten decimal places um, in in various units. But he also said that that its biggest strength was its decentralization in that you could mine it with a CPU and only a CPU at the time of release. So Satoshi's vision for this was, well, everyone in the modern Western world has a computer. So everyone in the modern Western world gets a stake of this. Uh, and that started to change uh, after GPU miners were developed. The process of mining, by the way, is, uh, is, not, is not the discovery of new Bitcoins per se, but it's the verification of the existence of Bitcoins in what's called the blockchain, mm-hmm. which is essentially a giant public cryptographic ledger um, where Bitcoins are created, stored, and the process of transferring them is, is recorded. And that's a public ledger where your name is not attached, but your address is, is publicly known. And that's so, what I was telling him. That's one of the, the major perks as a far to not only the, the anonymity that you get between the exchange between the two, the buyer and the seller, but also it's, it's a matter of public record if the exchange took place. So yeah, it, there's there's not going to be a dispute like, well, you told me that you were going to give me those three bitcoins and I never got them. Really, let's go to the ledger. And oh, there it is. Well, and this is why we people are talking. And go ahead. Yeah, and that, that's what I was about to say. This is why people are talking about you know this sort of Bitcoin 2.0 mentality where it, the blockchain it's possible to record uh, transact or contracts right. uh, within it, right? Where that's where certain terms talks about that a lot. Yeah, where certain terms would be, have to be fulfilled before the payouts payouts would continue, uh, w- which is fascinating. But getting back, I guess, to the to the concept of, of mining in general, uh, as your original question mm-hmm. stated, once uh, later on GPU miners, which by the way, CPU is central processing unit, GPU is graphical processing unit, and people found that the GPUs would would mine Bitcoin or Litecoin a lot faster than the CPUs, so GPU miners were developed. Now that that obviously brought a whole lot of new miners online and, and increased the network hash rate dramatically. But the point was is that it was still consumer-grade hardware available to the average Joe, and you, you could still get in on this game. And that all changed in Bitcoin, um, really, when, when the development of application-specific integrated circuits were developed for it, or ASIC miners. So these are miners that have tremendous hashing power um, that are cost thousands and thousands of dollars, as high as tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the unit. So all it meant was, you know, Bitcoin became a market that was very decentralized to almost overnight a market where there's 10 or 12 big players that mine almost all Bitcoin in existence now uh, and and can pump and dump the market as they see fit, really, on a, on a tremendous scale. There's, there's a lot of, there's only a few whales in the Bitcoin market these days. Uh, so, I mean, whether or not that still lives up to Satoshi's vision of decentralization is, is I guess, up to, up to the listeners. But I would argue that uh, he could never have envisioned this evolving so quickly and, and probably did not see 
these tremendous concerns. And there are many with, with, with cryptocurrencies, so many. I just I think it's, I can't buy anything in, in modern America with gold or silver. And I buy a lot of stuff with cryptocurrencies. So, right. so it, gives you, it gives you the alternative, but it also gives you, like, if you want to think of it as uh, in investments, you're looking for long-term stability in any kind of asset. So if you were looking for long-term stability in your portfolio, you would probably pick something like gold and silver that is a hedge against inflation, or it has been in the past. It typically, if there is a big reset, that's, that's probably where everybody will start again, as everybody will take a tally of gold and then say, okay, we're going to organize certificates. I don't know if they'll do fractional reserve lending or what they'll do, but we'll go back to that kind of mentality that we've had for six and 7,000 years. It's kind of like this idea that, um, that nobody knows really the worth of gold and nobody, you know, there obviously is intrinsic value to silver, you know, being a, a medicine and, and can be used for, you know, cr- creating semiconductors and things like that. And um, so there's multiple uses for it. Gold kind of the same way. You can use it for a couple of different things, but there's not a lot of intrinsic value to gold as compared to silver, but it's just accepted as something that's a commodity of value because it's been a commodity of value for so, so long. And my personal opinion is the elite love it, so why shouldn't you love it? So well, I, I do think that gold has intrinsic value in the sense uh, of, of its monetary function has become an intrinsic value uh, because there's no other element on the face of the planet that, or the, at least the known universe as, as we see it uh, – that is so fungible and so and and so ethereal, ephemeral, and immortal. You you drop gold bars at the bottom of the ocean a hundred thousand, you know, a hundred thousand years ago. You pull them up today, they look exactly the same as when you put them in there. Like there's no rust, erosion, corrosion. Uh, that I mean that that's an incredible property, and it's why gold serves serves the purpose of money uh, so well. But in an age where I guess we can um, we can we can replicate that digitally mm-hmm. that's that's where the question comes into play right and that's kind of what we were talking about before we came on the show is just like it's it's a shift in consciousness from actually having something that you can physically touch to having something that you can do a transaction with you utilizing a computer now is that going to make us more dependent on technology absolutely but i think that when when we start moving away from some of these antiquated technologies uh, like, um, for example, AT&T's got a big initiative here in Atlanta to remove almost all of their their old um, telephone lines. And what that means is they're going to push everything towards digital because, it's number one, it's easier to track, it's more stable, it's easier to monitor. And there's a little, you know, three-digit, or excuse me, a three-letter acronym that might want everything in a digital format rather than analog that might just so happen to sit on the front end of their servers, but that's a completely different thing. So... But it, it's, it's an initiative, and we're seeing this to move towards more of a digital age. And I think with the, with the, with the aging population of the, you know, the baby boomer generation, I think that this is going to be caught on. And I think that that's one of my concerns of cryptocurrency is that if it catches on, it might catch on too fast, and we might just dump paper money altogether and go to a digital system and we know the rabbit hole that that can lead down of an, of an EMP or something like that. And even an EMP, even instituted by a banking cabal, would not be out of the question because look at what happened with, um, with um, Goldman Sachs during the, um, during the big uh, drought that they bet for the drought. Magically, the drought happens. And I'm not saying that, that they did anything, but yes, they can do weather modification and weather manipulation to hold off fronts, to move fronts, to dissipate them, to increase them. That's technology that's been around since the 70s, since they've had hurricanes. So, and actually, there was um, what was the um, what was the treaty that they all signed back in the 70s that like every nation signed that they wouldn't use weather as a weapon. Uh, we just lost your audio for some reason. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was. I forget what it's called. It was in the '60s. It was a. It was a, a NATO Warsaw Pact agreement that essentially said we won't use weather weapons. It was in the '60s. I forget. I forget the name of it. Manipulate the weather, Josh. So just they signed a treaty just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They can do it. Uh, well, well, I mean, noting some of the things that you were saying, there are certainly infrastructural concerns to, to cryptocurrencies. That, that, that is, should be widely accepted. The kind of manipulations we're talking about are already starting to manifest, right? Which is why I think that Bitcoin in and of itself might be a dangerous platform to be involved in because we've got the Winkle boss, Winklevi twins, uh, 
uh, now essentially establishing the world's first Bitcoin ETF. Explain who those guys are. So they're the guys who think they invented Facebook, uh, <laughs> essentially. Well, no, oh, that Al Gore invented Facebook. Yeah, in the, in, the, in the social network movie. Anyways, um, uh, they, they're creating a, the world's first Bitcoin ETF. And if anyone out there is familiar with precious metals manipulation, then you know that the, the paper price ETF price suppression method is how the price of gold and silver is manipulated. Because you essentially are selling a stake for a physical asset that you don't actually own, right? So now, as opposed to Bitcoin price discovery being made on these major exchanges, it's going to be set on Wall Street. And that, that's a scary prospect uh, right off the bat that we're going to be experiencing within the next six months. But Jake, to your, to your other point, I want to tie this back together and, and bring up something that may not seem related at first, and that's Ted Kaczynski. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, in his, in his uh, uh, a, you know, Sydney. In his, in his, yeah, in his, well, he was a CIA fucking, it's, you, he was. It's okay. I, yeah. knew, I knew exactly where you were going with that. I was just pushing your buttons. It's fine. I hear you. But, I mean, after being an, a CIA, or a, a victim of CIA uh, experimentation in, during MKUltra, being dosed at Harvard, uh, goes on to be the Unabomber, uh, and it, uh, essentially comes out with this manifesto that says, you know, technology is about to uh, technocracy. He calls it technocracy. is about to is about to imperialize our lives, uh, and the computers are going to run us, and bad people are going to use the computers. So we should all run to the woods and start bombing these people. And uh, and the look what happened to Ted Kaczynski, right? So the other alternative is that you know good people have to monopolize technology as well. So at least then, uh, you know, there's somewhat of a level playing field. Because if you just let imperialists run your digital life, then they'll build fucking death robots and you'll be living in Thoreau's cabin. <laughs> but it's okay, Josh, because, listen, Vanity Fair says that you're a conspiracy theorist. So this is why I wanted to read this, and I just sent it to you. So just pull this up. Remember, this is a, this is a very educated publication. This is not propaganda by any stretch of the imagination. It never has been, never will be. A, a propaganda piece nor a selling piece. So for those of you that are listening and playing the home game, let's go over this really briefly, and I want to get Alan's take on this and Josh's take and and just um, giving everybody the once-over. It's, it's a pretty short article, so bear with me because I might stumble and mumble through this. It says, well, the results are in. We are a nation of idiots. And this is by Kirk Eckenwald. Is that how I would say that? Eckenwald? Eckenwald? Okay. I love you, Kurt. This is going to be. This is actually you. You just wrote my radio show for me. This is awesome. Well, that might <coughs> that might overstate it a bit, but some of the latest poll data is not showing that at least thirty or showing that at least thirty percent of American citizens, maybe lots more, are dumb as a bag of inbred hammers. Yeah, because if you don't trust the the imaginary narrative given to you by a bunch of PR firms and you know government-run media operations, then you're obviously an idiot. The poll in the question is a delight that, that put one out in the public by Public Policy Polling, a concern ranked of Fordham University and was one of the best out of 28 organizers for its accuracy in, nas- in national pre-election estimates of 2012. Yeah, these guys are actually good. So, this time, the folks at PPP decided to have a bit of fun, and rather than polling about people's politics as up or down, they opted to ask the people what their beliefs were in conspiracy theories. Remember, um, not trusting known liars is a conspiracy theory. Uh, I can just imagine the laughter that the PP offices had when they were starting to put these questions together. The results are in, and well, there is well, there is no real comedy more like a horror movie, and one that the plot line goes far beyond any level of belief. And it says, and some of these are actually funny. How many of you think that Barack Obama is the Antichrist? You know, the fellow or fellows, depending on which part of the Bible you're reading from, confronted the Jesus in the Second Coming. 26% of Americans either believe that President Obama is preparing for war with the Messiah, or you aren't sure that he isn't. Of course, since Obama has been in office for five years, these yahoos are really, uh, are, should really start to wonder what's taking Jesus so long to come back to earth. He's actually been here for a long time, Josh, hasn't he? And he could go back to earth to confront the demon president. Hopefully these were the same 26% of wackos who believe that the government puts fluoride in the water 
not for dental health, but for other sinister reasons, as PPP question read. It was a column that, it was a, it, oh, here it is. Here's the spin of the question. It was all a communist plot, you see, to do dot, 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 something. Sounds like they just took uh, Barack Obama out from a 2004 article and put in, or where there was a 2004 article, mm -hmm. and you had George W. Bush, and they just put in Barack Obama. For there that. you go. <laughs> That's it. I'm pretty sure I've seen this article before. It was 2004. <laughs> well, they, seriously, though, like when, when, when we look at articles like this, it's like you almost need two monitors so you have the article open and then a list of logical fallacies in the other windows so you can just tick them off. Yes, that's what I was going to get to. So we can go over those here in a minute because there are a lot of declarative statements here and, and um, that, that one I'm going to absolutely dismantle here in a few minutes. Um, Stanley Kubrick did a delightful setup for My the conspiracy in the, in the film Dr. Strangelove and the main character who declared that fluorination was designed to... Um, Oh my gosh! Designed to contaminate. Thank you. Contaminate the precious bodily fluids of the Americans, and started the World War III because of the beliefs. Fortunately, for most 26, probably wouldn't even start a math, couldn't even start a math test. Doesn't that mean that the uninformed folk are harmless? Actually, 44% of the Americans, more than half the country, either believes that childhood vaccinations cause autism or aren't sure whether they do. Never mind the study after study, including one just released by the Center of Disease Control. Yeah, because the government would never lie to you. Say that the beliefs and the edge, and they also say that all these vaccines, even the flu shot, can give you mental disorders, seizures, Guillain-Barre, and even cause death. On their website, but that doesn't even matter because we're not even dealing with, we're not dealing with reality here. This is just telling the masses what they need to think. So... <laughs> They believe in uneducated malarkey. Oh, it's uneducated, but if I... All right, whatever. So anyway, continuing, why should anyone consider that we have a former Playboy model, B actress Jenny McCarthy, disagreeing? Oh, yes, I'm just going to skip the rest of that. Okay, so here, this brings me to my favorite portion of the show, and it says, which brings us to the next absurdity, climate change, which actually isn't climate change, so you should actually redact that statement. It's climate disruption now because you guys can't get your fucking acronyms straight and figure out... What kind of bullshit you want to push on us anymore? That was actually added by yours truly. And sorry for the profanity, guys, but once again, climate change gets me very fired up. 49% either believe that the believe the college dropouts and billionaires aren't <coughs> or aren't really sure or aren't sure if they should. The global warming is a hoax. Not simply that science are an error, which they aren't. Of course they're not because you said so. But that they are orchestrated through the most expensive, wide-ranging, mind-numbing fraud in the history of the world just because. Actually, they took a lot of specific data to produce the results that they wanted, and that's all on record. But who cares? We're not dealing in reality anymore. Remember, this is just emotional masturbation by these guys. Let's talk about my boys. Exactly. This is absolutely jokes. Russian, okay. Russian Sean, big ups. All right, here we go. So once again, it is the PhDs versus people like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. Sure, there are a few scientists, almost never climatologists, really, once again, logical fallacy, who cast aspirations on the idea that the melting ice and the record temperatures in the world might have something to do with the planet getting warmer. But then vast, vast, vast majority of scientists, including ones hired by the Koch brothers, of course, of course, the scapegoat of the Koch brothers, the multi-billionaires and the financial interest to poo-poo climate change, and have concluded that the phenomenon is real, but they have triggered by man-made pollutants. Perhaps doubters should set aside their doubts. Oh, yes, remember, you are the authority figure. Talk down to your audience, because that's what sells papers. But the Limbaugh's and Hannity's of the world have done a great job convincing Americans that climatologists have entered into a massive, incomprehensive conspiracy to fool the world that there isn't, there isn't, or that there is a problem. The reason, they say, is climatologists are doing it for the money, which is true. Some say that they can live in their climatologist mansions and drive around their climatologist Ferraris for 26% who might not even know this is all sarcasm. Meanwhile, the people who uh, selflessly fight Americans, billionaire industrialists, oil industry magnets, and speak only truth because, you know, they have no financial reason to suggest that climate change is a fraud, although they have... They have dedicated themselves to a life, modest life, and can also advance the truth, subsiding, blah, 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 and this is just rambling. Okay, so he gets into the McCarthy's a little bit here, and vaccines and autism, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but, um, 
anyway, Andy talks about how the climate's cooling, and I actually shouldn't send him a letter saying that, you know, he probably should revamp some of his terminology. So, Josh, we just got hammered on everything. Evidently, we're a bunch of conspiracy theorists that need to be dealt with, and you and I are definitely not educated. So... Well, I I love that there are plenty of academic papers authored about the very subjects that he's citing, uh, you know, that that substantiate our positions, Jake. Uh, The problem is that they're significantly longer than this article. So I doubt that the readers of Vanity Fair will be interested in, in, you know, reading reading true academic studies. They would much rather rely on the appeal to authority. No. No, that that for one logical fallacy. There is a couple of declarative statements in there, by the way. There there are quite a few. Uh, the 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 appeal to authority one was one of my favorites, and then of course the the it starts off with a, with a number of good old straw men, uh, where positions are lumped together and deliberately misrepresented. Uh, you know, ta- talking about the nature of fluoridation being a being a communist conspiracy because that's how it was presented in pop culture at the time. When when really you know uh, American PR firms you know kind of tipped off the Nazis to this technique. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the rating of concentration camps was the supposed uh, uh, justification for, for its discovery, right? right? So not, not even a correct historical allegory there, but, you know, so, whatever. You'll, you'll read it. Christopher Hitchens used to write here, right? You like Christopher Hitchens, don't you, American left? <laughs> and it gets even better. Like, never mind that they did a giant independent study all over the world and came to the conclusion that any water fluoridation is bad. It creates bone cancer, it lowers your IQ, and if you want a convenient place to go find all this documentation, how dare I, you can go to wearenotcattle.net under the news section and read the article Fluoride in the Water where I actually document four different studies, two by Harvard, one by China, and the other one by that international committee that is about 350 pages long. Once again, Josh, information that the guys of Vanity Fair can't read because, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta go read National Geographic, man. I gotta go catch up on my. Yeah, net, net, never mind that a good, a good portion of Western Europe does not fluoridate their water because they find it immoral and a health hazard. Never mind that uh, Japan, China. South Korea do not fluoridate their water because they find it immoral and there are health hazards. Like, you know, I guess those those countries don't have uh, Anglo-Saxons in them, so uh, you know they're beneath us, anyways. Absolutely, and and what's really funny is that where he talks about how it's it's for tooth whitening. Yes, the actual reason that fluoridation was passed was passed by the American Dental Association, so it had nothing to do with any kind of toxicologist, nothing. So they all just passed it, and then a bunch of toxicologists come along later and go, hey, what the hell is this doing in the water? This is really bad for us. They're like, no, 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 it's fine, man. It's fine. Listen, it's fine. It's, it's diluted. It's so many parts per million, it, it doesn't even matter. It's just trace elements, dude. It's just trace elements. You just, want, you just want the poor kids who can't afford toothpaste to all get cavities, Jake. Just admit it. Just admit it. You're a denture salesman, aren't you? <laughs> Damn it. I bet you're funded by the Koch brothers. (laughs) I am. I'm fully funded by the Koch brothers. Thank you for my billion-dollar website and my Ferrari. (laughs) Did you see that where uh, where some website uh, tracking climate change deniers uh, put a hit out on James Corbett, and they said that his ClimateGate website uh, was um, was uh, was was a a million like a multi-million-dollar website funded by the Koch brothers. (laughs) James Corbett's like, uh. No, I made it in like five minutes on WordPress, man. <laughs> Pretty easy. What are we going to do with these people? The climate kids are fun. You guys are absolutely a lot of fun. You, I love talking in circles with you, but, I mean, next thing you know, next thing you know, dude, I, I'm telling you on Facebook tomorrow, the, um, the climate kids are going to be posting this thing and telling me that I'm, I'm a conspiracy. Oh, it's that right-wing conspiracy theory stuff. Never mind. Never mind any of the documents that I've ever... I, never mind tragedy and hope. Never mind any of this stuff. Never mind, you know, eco-science. Never mind any of it. Just, well, I, just, I just pay attention. Yeah, I'm just looking for the next uh, uh, selection cycle for the American presidential race. So then instead of being called a right-wing conspiracy nut, I can go back to being called a left-wing conspiracy nut, you know? Oh, really? Can we go and switch teams? I didn't know if that was legal. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I think. I think our, uh, our our team is fairly set. It's the it's the the variables around us by which uh, that that alter the public's perception of what team you're playing for, right? 
It's really, really crazy, isn't it? So, right, right, right now you're a birther, and next you'll be, I don't know, some weird guy who doesn't, you know, party. hate Muslims enough. It's the tea, tea party, or is it what to overthrow the government? Remember that, um, remember that Bundy Ranch that you and I broke down, where that said that the the militia's main goal, the militia's main goal in the United overthrow States, America. overthrow the federal government. <laughs> What is going on, dude? What planet am I on? Am I- a wacky, zany one. <laughs> it's all right, man. Karen Hudes with her fake goal is going to save us from the Vatican. Hey, if you don't believe my girl Karen, then you're beyond saving. Oh, my God. The military conehead generals are going to save us all. They're going to rain gold from the heavens. <laughs> For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, please look up Karen Hudes and her. What what is What is the actual... What is the just, hominid called? I don't even know. Uh, crypto hominid. Crypto hominids. Just yeah. enjoy it. Just have a late night by yourself with YouTube and, and have a good laugh that that a World Bank whistleblower has completely gone off the deep end. But, Jake, I don't know where you uh, or, or uh, you know, has been walking down the plank for quite some time being pushed by uh, some interesting shadowy forces. Sure, why not? Just, for disinformation purposes. But seeing that we only have 20 minutes left, I don't know where you were planning on taking this. Um, but now that you're here, uh, I kind of want to take this, this petrodollar Ukraine kind of discussion full circle since we didn't, we didn't really hit on it much. Okay. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, definitely is interesting. I, I'll say that. Like, I guess the one thing that I wanted to just summarize what I was talking about earlier is just how, you know, it's just so way well talked about in Europe, whereas the United States, the media is hey, contaminate, do not let these people know what's the big issue. But in Europe, they have no problem talking about the big issues or big problems that we have. And it's, this, is, this is exploited on every news channel out there right now. And the fact that, you know, the America's in big, big trouble about being the bully on the street, about having their hand in every transaction that's gone down ever since we took over the world reserve currency status and we're on the brink of losing that and it's only a matter of time before Putin really gets gets this game in shape to where he's got all this axis of evil countries behind him to set up this economy to where it's like we don't we don't need big brother USA anymore and uh, it's it's going to be detrimental don't worry about the fact that we're running a debt don't worry about the fact that we can't pay our bills, or we've got guys in Washington. Don't forget, right. raising the debt ceiling does not raise the debt. <laughs> That's right. That's Just right. Don't even think about it, guys. We're making Just money. We're making did. money. That, that, that unemployment rate's going down. Everything's good. No, nothing is good. Go to Europe. Ask a guy how, how the economy is. Everybody knows it's terrible. Everybody knows that there is no, no recovery going on, but there's a huge paradigm shift going on in who's the big players in the market. And the United States is going to lose big. And when this does, Michael's going to finally get his wish with Alex Jones, Michael Seidner, and he's going to finally get his wish. And he's going to, he always ends his articles the same way. I hope you're preparing because when, if, you, if, you, if you're not, by the time the, the music stops, game over. So yeah. he, always, he always does have that good, solid theme of just saying, guys, our days are numbered. Please, please make the plays you need to now because the reality is, is that we're losing. We're losing big time, and it's being talked widely about over there, and it's just not here. And uh, if it does reoccur like the 2008 crisis did in the sense that the writing was on the wall, mm-hmm. we can't be surprised anymore. No, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a very good point, and what you're going to see is um, the cyclical cycle is going to be worse this go-around than it was in 2008. It won't be like some kind of correction. It'll be massive. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be drop-off because of the way that they're manipulating commodities. The commodities market does have a very big effect in like emerging markets, and so if you manipulate the the commodities market, then emerging markets can't come up. So they're going to be frustrated. Josh, was it you or was it Robert that was talking last night about his friend from Turkey that knew? That was me. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead and talk about that because that's really pertinent to the situation here. Because this is stuff that needs to be talked about here in America, people. I'm sorry, but. I know the fires are going on in California, and that's all that CNN's talking about. <laughs> was, so, those are good clips. I, yeah. I must admit, those were pretty intense flames. Right, but um, evidently they haven't found the plane yet. But I'm sure we'll get an update here very, very <laughs> soon up. on the ticker. On the, it's coming up. It's coming up. At it the was in Hawaii the, the whole time. <laughs> up at the bottom of the hour with Anderson Cooper, the CIA operative. They, they're they're going to find the pinprick of semen on the blue dress too. <laughs> 
Okay, so Josh, talk about your friend from Turkey and, and about um, this kind of ties into what we were talking about here. The censoring of, of reality to the American public. Obviously, we just read a microcosm of that through Vanity Fair, but let's get into the financial side of things and, and what's really going down all around the world and, and how we're perceived, more importantly, and like Alan said, how we're perceived around the world, even if we don't believe so. Well, I mean, this is this ties in kind of to the question that I was going to ask, but I have a buddy who uh, spent uh, about a month and a half in Turkey uh, in late 2013, early 2014, um, due to some, some interesting circumstances that I won't get into. Uh, but he ended up finding himself essentially in this seaside town uh, with, with a bu- and stayed with a bunch of boat builders and boat sail- yacht salesmen who may or may not have been involved in the Turkish mob. But he met a lot of people. He met, you know, just regular folk. He met uh, uh, politicians, bankers, um, military men, uh, and all of them kind of treated him very strangely until they talked about politics for any length of time. And uh, the one thing that he said universally is they would all bring up 9-11 and they they wondered are are you are like are you a stupid american do you do you really believe that that line of shit that your government fed you because we don't believe that like none of us do and haven't believed it for a long time so so he came home and told me about that because obviously it's a, it's a subject that i'm fascinated by you're one of those 28% mouth breathing morons evidently that this guy's talking about oh absolutely proud to be one hang it open you know far and wide for everyone i'll i'll i'll, I'll breathe it into his face and not brush my teeth for a couple of days how about that <laughs> But it, uh, the, the real question to me is that because a lot of people have this meme of some kind of economic devastation through hyperinflation. I think that that's a meme that's propagated quite deliberately. I think this is going to be sort of a slow Fabian. Uh, we're going to have multiple two because we can't have a banking crisis that's as bad as 2008 all at once because our banks are relevered. Right. I mean, technically, it's still this this sham financial institution with with bogus numbers. Yeah, but it, and when and with no lending going out into the circulation. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and but but America, America to its credit, I mean, not really, but at least we pretended to recapitalize our banks, right? Western Europe has not done that at all, uh, and and once they do recapitalize their banks, even these islands of fiscal sovereignty like like Greece and France, supposedly you know, look worse than, worse than what Greece does right now, right? So the, I think that there's also an angle to be covered there when, uh, when Europe is blaming the United States for all this stuff because, quite frankly, it is the fault of, of the American empire. That being said, they're going to experience the brunt of the pain far before we will, and it's going hurt to hurt a lot worse. And that's kind of why I feel like this military uh, shift from the Middle East to the Central Asian Caucasus is happening right now, too, because once shit pops off in, in Western Europe, and something we've talked about a lot, Jake, uh, the rise of fascism with these kind of uh, economic disturbances in Western Europe creates a perfect meme for the Anglo-American establishment to start another big war and 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 put all their put all their chips on the table and 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 get ready to lay those cards down, you know. Right, and look at who they funded in the Ukraine. It wasn't. It was. It was um, two faces of fascism. Which one do you want? We got the green fascism. We got red. The Svoboda and what was the other one called? Oh God. Um... Svoboda um, is the one in power right now, right? Uh, Arseniy Yatsenyuk. I've forgotten. Yeah, I've forgotten the other one's name already. But it's like two neo-fascist groups, and it's like here are your choices. I would, if I was in that situation, I would choose neither. But you know, it's kind of um, it's kind of the way that this this stuff plays out. If you look at Confessions of an Economic Hitman, for the most part, what happens? And and for those of you that have read the book, you'll understand where I'm going with this. What happens after you decline a deal from the UN or you decline a deal from the World Bank? What do they do? They start a revolution in your nation or they just assassinate you. Or they do both, which they actually did both. But that's okay. Don't even worry about that. I guess that's the big question that I want to pose. Leaf Flicker Touchdown. Why why run any different play when every play that you run, the same play is a touchdown every time? It's like you have, you know, 20 Megatrons running downfield and fucking Tom Brady's your quarterback every time. <laughs> every time. Go deep. Like, like, we have, an, we have an, a conehead Anunnaki receiver. He's 12 feet tall, can dunk on the goalpost without leaving the ground. He's covering who's all of 5'5 five five and 140 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> so good luck. But, but that's the real question I want to pose to both of you guys is that um, given that I personally believe this collapse will be Fabian in nature because we are run in part by Fabian socialists, right? Um, uh, 
what happens when a country like Turkey that has outstanding debt to the IMF is presented with a Russian-Chinese petrodollar deal that says, hey, uh, we're, we're going to swap? Is it going to be a situation where they just they, they swap and there's, and there's no uh, financial or, uh, or, or, or warfare kind of punishment from the West? Or does the IMF come in and say, uh, you're, because sanctions can't be effective anymore if there is truly an alternative trading system. So does the West go to war with everyone they've ever given an IMF loan to? That's about half the planet. <laughs> go ahead, man. Go ahead. What do you think? I, it's, it's, he asked a good question earlier. It's, a, it's another good question. As far as the fallout of this aftermath, it, it'll be interesting to see where countries, countries will have to make decisions as far as what side they go on. The reality is, is that you've got your pivotal, pivotal game player set up. You've got the yellow and the red taking on the red, white, and blue. And the reality is, is that I don't like our chances. I don't like our chances because we've pissed off a lot of people. We've ruined a lot of we nations. We have pissed off a lot of people. We've ruined a lot of nations, and that's the bottom line. We've come in with our, with our groups and with our salespeople and have sold people a bag of shit and told them it was roses and destroyed their, destroyed their entire nation, their infrastructure for... Years, not just for 10 years, not for 20, but for 30 and 50 years. Look at Indonesia. Prime example of what happens when the World Bank comes in, gives these guys these loans. And gee, Josh, who gets to appoint the head of the World Bank? Oh, you don't say. The, chair, the, the, the American Federal Reserve, right? Oh, the President of the United States. The President of the United States, technically, right? Right, correct. But we can extrapolate that a little bit further. I'm sure that Bernanke was like, yo, B, Brock, here's my vote. You might want to listen to this one. But... It really does, like Alan said, you have you have people that are going to line each other. Josh, I think what you're going to see if you get the ex- – well, that's exactly what happened in the Ukraine, right? The EU came in with their deal. Russia had their deal on the table. And then what happens? They're like, okay, well, we're going to go with a Russian deal. Oh, really? We're going to destabilize your nation. We're going to put a bunch of radicals in there. We're going to put somebody in there that's going to play for our team. And he's going to win. You know why? Because we've done this before. We've been doing this since the 50s. We got this shit. This is on lunchbox, son. Get ready for a new leader. Nazi? Whatever. Throw him in there. You going to vote for the UN? EU? You're in. Hey, Russia, you're out. Sorry. Oh, you want to give him a, what, $20 trillion loan and not make him pay anything back and it's all, you know, no strings attached? Nah, that's not good enough. We're going to destabilize your nation. Oh, and fuck the EU, by the way, whoever that woman was. <laughs> You're on mute again. Yeah, Victoria Newland. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when we look at the posturing in the Ukrainian situation, not only how it's playing out, but the fact that Russian Gazprom has Western Europe by the balls. Like, this is, the sanctions, this posturing is, is kind of a, it's laughable on the West part, right? Sure. To think that they could take down uh, uh, Russia's, you know, only real blue water port right. to the Atlantic with the same kind of freaking tactics that they use on Banana Republic nations, right? Like it's, it's kind of a joke, and it, sh- it does show how desperate these people are. But uh, just to play a uh, hawkish devil's advocate for a moment, Ooh, like uh, yeah, uh, the, the neocon would say, I'm a student of history, and I know that so long as you have the, the world's largest blue water navy, which America still will have by far, then you still have empire. And seeing even if there is some kind of situation where... See, this is where it gets so complicated to me, because... I, to be honest with you guys, I actually don't, I don't feel like the American empire in a hegemonic standpoint is going to quote-unquote lose, and I don't think that the transfer of gold and land from west to east is, is, a, is a stupid play by the part of the Anglo-American establishment. I think they're simply equalizing commodity holdings, so when they release a, gold, a gold-backed currency, the U.S. petrodollar and the, and the yuan ruble faction will be about the same trading value, so then they can say, well, oligarchs, Here's the new world currency it's based on these two p- pillars of, of financial stability, and everyone else gets the inflation. To me, that, to me, that is the gateway to, to globalism and world hegemony, and that's how I see this playing out. Um, but I don't know. People like Alex Jones don't, don't present that meme. They kind of say that the Russians and the Chinese have us by the balls, and I think uh, we put the ball in their court quite deliberately, as we have throughout history. There you go. This is for you, buddy. America's Navy, a global force for good. There you go. There you go, buddy. We're, we're the good guys. Just don't forget that. We're the good guys. Destabilization efforts, overthrowing governments, putting in Nazis. It's the good guys, man. That's the good guys. 
So anyway, we got five minutes left. What do you guys? Uh, what do you guys want to wrap up with? Uh, it's it's been a nothing. What the episode info was? What was the episode info about? <laughs> uh, economy, business. We didn't. T- we haven't talked about business ethics. We didn't talk about net neutrality because we got. What's the, the point of talking about business ethics? Uh, in the America, not really anything. But <clears throat> that's one of my big sticks, man. Is that I think that we should go back to a a moral and just society and and start doing business the right way, and that would force our leaders to do business the right way because I think it trickles down. If you have a... Harris. Harris talk. I know. So think about it like this. If you have a microcosm, which would be your day-to-day activity, if you start running your business life morally, ethically, you're going to be more apt to monitor what your nation does on a grander scale, morally, ethically, and then hold people accountable. But what happens is it's actually gone reverse. So we see people in Washington getting ahead. We see people lying and getting away with it in Washington. We see the big banks lying and get away with it. So now it trickles down in society, and now we're all a bunch of lying, lying conniving assholes that are trying to make a buck off of anybody. Scraps. And exactly. So now we're just trying to, we're just trying to, dude. I mean, it's good enough for these guys. Why can't I do it? Because it's going to destroy the moral fabric of society, and that's what we're dealing with. It's it's a microcosm of of this mental illness, this right dominant right brain mental illness that, you know, do what thou wilt kind of attitude. Yeah, well and it's I want it should be made clear that that is not a utopian ideal. What you're simply advocating for is the decentralization of morality, right? Mm-hmm. Which right now power and, and what we base good and evil off of are are, are essentially uh, a, a corporate fascist structure, and all you're saying is that that fief, that, that should be more divided among sort of fiefdoms where where the people in Savannah, Georgia, can decide whether or not they uh, uh, or how they want to run their lives, as opposed to the people of you know southeastern Michigan who might want to do it very differently. Right, and go back to something like the Federalist Papers, where they actually had a, a structure in place where you weren't going to raise federal taxes. They didn't say that we don't not going to have a federal government. They said have one. But if you're going to have a tax increase, you have to get the permission of the states. You have to get a three-fourths majority of the states. Yeah, but look how that looked out, worked out, right? Yeah, they got overridden by a bunch of oligarchs that came in. The, the, the founding fathers, none of them were agents of the British Empire, by the way. But it's okay. Don't read history books, people. They don't put anything in there. Don't bother that Thomas Jefferson and uh, Alexander Hamilton were both British, British Empire agents working for two different factions, and we argue about which one was right all the time, and both of them wanted the same fucking thing, but... Uh. Uh, See, I know how to turn. I know how to push yeah. Josh's buttons. This is sorry. All. all you do, climate kids with me, and then you talk about the Anglo, and you talk about the British East India Company with Josh, and we both lose it. So, two minutes left, guys. Uh, final final thoughts, Josh, and then we'll go to Alan, and then uh, we'll wrap up the show. Uh, just uh, get ready for big things from me and Jake. Uh, check out JRevRadio.com, which we're broadcasting on live by, right now, by the way. Um, but we've got big changes coming there too. Absolutely, Alan. Um, thank you so much for being in studio, man. Who's on? We've been we've been talking we've been talking about it for quite some time, and good to have you on, and good to have somebody else in the room with me. And I, I think I I think I let it hang too loose tonight, and I probably lost a lot of listeners. But no, come I back, appreciate come it. Back, come on, you got to gotta fire off the rip. You got to get people fired up to draw reactions. You know, I think the good theme tonight would be just that concept where it's like, hey, every great American idea has probably originated in Europe. Reality is, is like you look at you look at J.P. Morgan. You know everything that that guy learned was from his father. Where did his father learn it? Oh, great question. Organization, it's, you know, this was done in Europe well before. So, reality is, is that keep the a Hamburg of Warburg, right? Keep a close eye on Europe, and trust me, this will all all fucking show us on television what's going to happen to the United States, and it's going to be shown in Europe. I agree, and so that's it for the show, everybody. Um, once again, thanks to my guest Josh Wiley of the Journal. And, um, some interesting things from us. Should we go ahead and announce it, man? Or do you think we? No, 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 no. Well, just uh, we're gonna we're gonna be coming out with a research collective, and uh, it's gonna be more of the higher level stuff, uh, book book analyzations, uh, really digging deeper on some of this stuff. So uh, I guess we'll 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 give you the details later. Right. So in essence, people that want to join, um, you can actually email me at wearenotcattle at gmail. But what we're going to do is release a book, and depending on how long the book is, we're going to give the, the people that want to participate X amount of days or weeks to read it. And then we're going to set aside a time. We're all going to have a group discussion on Facebook – or not on Facebook. We're going to have a group discussion on Skype. Might even run a, a live radio show. But get people to call in, uh, give us your thoughts, breakdown analysis, and 
try to drive the intellectual stimulation of uh, of the conscious collective and try to get more people involved in reading because one of the fun things about reading and learning is sharing your ideas and what you took away from a book. Josh might take something away from it that I never saw or vice versa. So I think that we're really looking forward to this and um, look for it the next couple of weeks. And um, once we get the first book picked out and the deadline, um, we'll start launching it out. And I'll also try to make sure that we can find books that have PDFs on them and that you can actually find in your local library or that you can actually just download for free and read along with us and um, become a fellow nerd just like we are. So thanks for listening, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, get involved. And uh, remember to like my YouTube channel, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and um, we will see you Sunday at 11 a.m. Thank you so much for joining us. Peace, love. And liberty, everybody, as I scroll for the exit audio. Take care, everyone.